Hey everybody, how's it going? Welcome back to another live episode of the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast, part of, of course, the 90 Min family. I'm your host, as ever, Harry Simi. Happy Christmas Eve. Um, a live podcast on Christmas Eve. Can't think of a better way to spend my Christmas Eve than uh, talking to you guys uh, about a uh, positive Arsenal result. Uh, we would have liked to take all three points away from Anfield, of course. And I think this was a game we went into with a lot of confidence. And you can't always say that was the case in you know previous years when travelling to Anfield. So I understand why there are some people out there that maybe think that actually this was a bit of an opportunity missed. But I think overall, good performance, good result. And we'll get into why and we'll talk about the wider kind of context around that during this episode. Before we dive into the football chat, though, I do want to wish you all a merry, merry Christmas. I hope you all have a wonderful time uh, with your friends and family. If you don't celebrate Christmas, then I hope you enjoy, you know, any time off that you might have around this period. And, and yeah, take the opportunity to spend it with your friends, with your family or to rest and recuperate. if That's what uh, you need to do. Um, but yeah, look, I just want to say thank you for um, an amazing year again. Uh, we'll talk a little bit more about the year on the whole when we get to the end of the year, when I give you guys some New Year's wishes, I guess. But I just wanted to wish you all a very happy Christmas and thank you for everything that you've done um, in terms of the support that you've shown me over the course of uh, of this year. And it's very, very much appreciated. Also, um, thank you for all the kind messages on social media yesterday. I was uh, on commentary duty for Arsenal yesterday on the big one. Um, and you can find the highlights to the game on the Arsenal player. You can find the extended highlights on the Arsenal player. Uh, you can watch uh, a really short uh, kind of cut down on Twitter and on YouTube. Um, or if you're someone that accesses the Arsenal player, then you can go and watch the entire game in full um, if you want to get a, a better feel of Arsenal's performance yesterday. And I always think it's... Um, it's good to watch games like that back in full because I think during the game, you feel a lot of emotion. You feel a lot of stress. You feel on edge, you know, and it's impossible not to feel that way given the stakes and given the fact that, you know, you're at a place like Anfield and you know that the game can just turn on the, the kind of finest detail. So I always like to watch these games back because I think only when I watch the games back can I make a real full assessment. And I've watched the game back uh, bright and early this morning. Obviously, it's Christmas Eve. Obviously, my kids are excited. And obviously, they want to wake everybody up at five o'clock, six o'clock in the morning. That's just how it goes. Um, let me say a few hellos as well, because there's loads of you in the live chat. Uh, big hello to Mohammed. We've got Junior. We've got Times uh, with JR, who says, uh, happy with the result yesterday. Merry Christmas, everyone. Loving the content. Keep it up. Thank you so, so much, mate. Really, really uh, do appreciate it. We've got Temi. Uh, we've got uh, Tom, Jack is with us, Junior, Guna76, The Croc um, is here, Jay Muller um, is here. He says, uh, Merry Christmas from Valencia to everyone. Wow, um, I'm sure it's a bit warmer there than it is here. Uh, we've got uh, Jid, we've got uh, Paritos, we've got Daniel, we've got Ivan, we've got Sammy, Richie, Mafia Boss, we've got Princess Somalia, um, who says, proud of how the boys stood up and fought. Um, let's beat them at the Emirates. Uh, Robert says, I'll take a point, bearing in mind there were some less than normal performances, but Saliba and Rice just wow. Merry Christmas to everyone celebrating. Uh, we've got Brillo Pad. Uh, we've got Highbury Ultra. 
who says, hi, Harry, I've watched the game back and I'm really happy with yesterday's performance. Is it only me who noticed most of our mistakes came from slipping uh, on the pitch? Looked like something was done to it. It was massively watered before the game. Like, I, I remember sitting there saying, um, when sort of the pictures were coming through to us, like, why are they wetting the pitch so much? Was it because Liverpool were planning to go that little bit more direct because we saw them go direct at times yesterday, which I thought was an interesting tactic. It's not normally the Liverpool way, but they clearly identified a weakness on our left-hand side in Alexander Zinchenko. And we'll come on to talk about him in detail a little bit later on. But look, let's kind of just start off by talking about how the game went in terms of the general pattern. I thought it was a really, really good start from Arsenal. Really sharp, really positive really bold, really brave. And it reminded me of the start that we had at Anfield last season, where we went there with confidence and we we did our utmost to try and sort of lay down a marker from the beginning to kind of cause that anxiety among the Liverpool crowd that undoubtedly impacts the atmosphere. Jurgen Klopp had been talking about the atmosphere in the build-up to this one. And, you know, before kickoff, you got the feeling that it was red hot inside Anfield. You got the feeling that everybody was up for it that Jurgen Klopp's comments had done the trick. But then that at times in the first few minutes just felt like it was fading because of how well Arsenal were playing. And I always say this, you guys that have listened to this podcast for a while or, or watch any of the other things that I'm on will know that I often say, look, atmospheres can be great from the off. Atmospheres can be great pre-kickoff. But if you go there and you perform, you can really, really quickly dampen that. And, you know, people talk about flashpoints in matches and the fact that those flashpoints can often spark a crowd into life. Yeah, I think that is a thing to a point. But I also think that generally, if you play really well, if you control the ball, if you give the opposition supporters something to be concerned about, then, you know, yeah, they're going to get behind their team as much as they possibly can. But they're never going to be able to do it to the same level as when they're winning or playing well or got the bit between their teeth because, that nervousness and anxiety that kicks in, it does cause you to be slightly more withdrawn. Therefore, that has an impact on the atmosphere. I really, really do believe that. So it was a really good start. Obviously, we got the goal after four minutes as well. Um, really well-worked free kick. Brilliant from Gabriel. He did just enough to kind of get himself back onside. Um, and when the ball came to him, he made no mistake with the header. He put it right in the right place. Um, Alisson not able to get anywhere near it. After the goal, though, it felt like Liverpool started to uh, raise it a couple of notches. And, and you can understand that, right? They they wanted to respond. The Anfield crowd recognised, and, and again, probably partly because of Jurgen Klopp's comments in the week, which I said were a compliment to Arsenal. But, you know, we've talked about it with Arteta lots and lots of times. If you plant that seed as a manager, then fans even subconsciously have that in their mind going into a ground, going into a game, and they will give it that extra 10, 15, 20% sometimes that can make the difference. And I thought we had a period after we scored where we struggled for a little bit. Um, there were some good passages of play from Arsenal in terms of bringing the ball out, working it between the lines. We created a couple of sort of half chances on the counter-attack that unfortunately we weren't able to take. But, you know, we were... I wouldn't say we were overwhelmed, but there were a few moments where I thought, oh, we've got to do better here. There was a Mo Salah chance at the far post that he put into the side netting. There was a couple of times 
um, where Curtis Jones got forward down the left and kind of got to the byline or Luis Diaz would get to the byline. And I'm thinking it's too easy for them to get through there. Um, and then, of course, comes the Mo Salah equaliser. Now, listen, we talked about him in the lead up to the game. He's an unbelievable threat. That was his 16th goal of this season um, in all competitions, of course. But Mohamed Salah, in scoring that, I think became the sixth player to go into double figures against Arsenal when he moved into the top 10 Premier League all-time goal scorers. So this is a guy of, of top, top quality. We highlighted in the preview podcast, as I'm sure many of you would have done you know, yourselves, the problem that we have at left back defensively. And I want to talk about Zinchenko in a little bit more depth later on. So I'm not going to talk about Zinchenko generally now. We'll come to that in a bit. But I want to talk about that particular goal, that particular incident. Because although Zinchenko, you know, does have some shortcomings defensively, he's the first to admit that. He's come out and said it in interviews. I think for me, he got some of the fundamental basics wrong there when that ball came over his shoulder from Trent Alexander-Arnold. I've referenced already that I think it was a tactic. I think it was something that Liverpool looked up, looked at in the lead up to this game. Mo Salah is not a winger per se. He is a right-sided forward who will push right up all of the time. A bit like Gabriel Martinelli does. I think Martinelli probably works back more than Mo Salah does. But Salah, given his outputs in the attacking third, has probably earned the right to be uh, that little bit more kind of blasé about his defensive responsibilities. But I look back at that. And Trent Alexander-Arnold gets the ball. He looks up. He spots Mo Salah in a one-on-one -on -one situation with Zinchenko. And he pings a ball over the top of the Ukrainian. Now, one of the things that I think has been missed in the Arsenal analysis of this is that that is a bloody good pass from Trent Alexander-Arnold. It's driven. It's got the pace on it. It's also um, at a really kind of interesting height. The trajectory of it's really interesting because it almost lures you into thinking that you can win the header, but probably, you know, given the pace on it, you're, you're asking a lot of the defender to readjust that quickly. If I'm being hypercritical of Zinchenko, I think that because his initial body position is slightly wrong, I think that he stands no chance of adjusting as he watches that ball coming towards him in order to at least attempt to make the headed clearance. I think it's the perfect ball to beat that specific player. For example, if that's Gabriel or Saliba, I think the height difference is enough to see them just comfortably just nod that ball away. They'll have time to look at what's going on in front of them and hopefully cushion the header into an area where one of their teammates can pick it up and avert the danger. But look, Zinchenko is Zinchenko. We know what he is. We know what his strengths are. We know what his weaknesses are. And so... I think some of the analysis post-match has been maybe a little bit over the top on Alexander Zinchenko. But in that particular instance, I think that the body position, the body shape from the beginning is wrong. And I think that, yeah, Mo Salah probably does cut in a little bit too easily. I wondered if the centre-backs might have gone out. Gabriel might have gone out slightly earlier to support him. Again, I'm being hypercritical. I'm just trying to think of things that maybe Arsenal could do better in that scenario later on. What I will say is that credit to Arsenal, I think they learned from that in the second half of the game. And it would have been quite easy for Zinchenko to maybe collapse in terms of his confidence after something like that, after being the one again at Anfield that ultimately was the the, the soft touch through which 
um, Liverpool were able to get through and score. He didn't, though. He continued to play his game. He continued to play his way. And, and we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about Zinchenko in just a moment. But yeah, Salah cuts inside. And from that position, I, I've seen some people online being critical of David Raya. I just think the power beats him. I just think it's a superb finish. And um, and the power beats him there. Um, also in the first half, and, and I probably should have touched on this before, um, talking about the Salah equaliser, Martin Odegaard in my opinion, gets away with murder. Um, if that was the other way around, I would have been absolutely livid at that decision. Chris Kavanagh, the referee, didn't see it in real time. Um, I think that's acceptable that he didn't see it. Understandable is probably the better word. And I think Jurgen Klopp kind of alluded to that in his post-match interview as well. But for VAR to look at that, I think is you know, to look at that and not come to the conclusion that at the very least the referee needs to go over and review it to me is wild. It's madness. And on this occasion, we have benefited from it. But given how big I've gone personally on the standard of officiating, the clear and obvious errors that are still not being picked up, the problems that we have with the standard of officiating across the board in the Premier League, whether that be those on the pitch or those off the pitch in the VAR room. I would be a hypocrite if I sat here now and said, oh, well, you know, sometimes it goes your way. Sometimes it doesn't stop moaning about it, Liverpool. If I were a Liverpool fan now, I would be furious. I would be up in arms and I would once again be questioning the state of, uh, of the officials in our league. Now, some people were saying in the chat, that Martin Odegaard slipped. And I do believe that Martin Odegaard slipped. I do. But if you watch it back again, there's a kind of movement from the left arm that is more than just Martin Odegaard putting his arm down to break his fall. Now, someone had gone on Twitter and sort of broken down, and I don't know how right or wrong this is, um, but basically was making the case that because Martin Odegaard was slipping and falling, he was able to put his arm down to break the fall and then the ball hits the arm. He he actually sort of moves towards the ball with his arm um, rather than just putting his arms straight down. And it's impossible to know if that was part of his natural movement to break his fall. But I just think the lack of consistency around the handball thing is a problem. And I think Liverpool, if I'm being completely fair and taking my Arsenal hat off, have every right to feel aggrieved by that decision. Let's be honest. Let's. I've said it over and over again. Unless we're all honest about these things, unless we're all um, looking at these things through the lens of let's improve the game, then we're never, ever going to get a higher standard of officiating because those responsible for the low standards will always manage to hide behind some kind of tribalism. So I'm trying to be fair, okay? I think that that is a handball. And I think that that should be a penalty for Liverpool in the first half. Fortunately for us on the day, it wasn't. You need a little bit of luck, don't you? More often than not, to come away from Anfield with something. So we'll take it. Of course we will. But I think it would be wrong of me and hypocritical of me, given my stance on the level of officiating and everything else over the last few months, to not call that out for what it is. And I think it was a handball. So... Feel free to disagree with me um, in the chat. But that's that's what I think. Um, Lee says, uh, not surprised. There's no consistency when it comes to the handball rule. Uh, WYTMP says, he genuinely slipped, though. 
these handballs are genuinely not consistent. He also goes on to say he was trying to break his fall, but he didn't actually completely fall in the end. And he was in the heat of the physical contact. Um, Jay Muller says, we deserve some luck. We do. Um, Highbury uh, Ultra says, I've seen those ones on Havertz, given also the handball rule is so confusing. I don't get it. Um, what else have we got? Uh, Mitchell says, I have an easy solution to decide what's a clear and obvious error to get rid of any grey area. Get two VARs to independently um, from each other make a decision. If they both agree, then it's clear and obvious. That's a, that's a good idea. I quite like that. Um, man says, that's not luck, that's cheating. Uh, called Trent Miss a luck, not the pen incident. I mean, is it cheating? Like, I, I think it's one of those things that just happens in a flash. I think Martin Odegaard's gone, you know what, lads, I'll save this. I think he's got his arm out and I think he's prevented the ball moving forward inside the penalty area. And so if I were a Liverpool fan, I would want that. But anyway, look, it wasn't given um, at the end of the day. And so I'm trying to be fair and I'm trying to be consistent, but I haven't forgotten all those people that were telling me um, after the, the controversy up at Newcastle that I should just get on with it, stop crying and move on. So, uh, I guess the same applies the other way, does it? I'm just saying what people were saying to me. Anyway, um, then, of course, the other real big moment in the game, really, really big moment, was that Trent Alexander-Arnold chance where his strike came back off the crossbar. It was a five-on-two situation. At one stage, it was five-on-one. It was five on Declan Rice. And William Saliba showed incredible pace and speed um, to keep up with Darwin Nunez, who was charging forward down the left for Liverpool. Mo Salah plays it to his right. You'd have bet your house on Trent Alexander-Arnold, given how well he strikes a football um, to have just slotted that past David Raya. Instead, he goes with the side foot. He gets underneath it and back off the crossbar it comes. And I never said this at the time because I wouldn't say it on a commentary. It'd be completely unprofessional. But I did feel like at that point, it was going to be our day in terms of we were going to get out of there with something positive, whether that be a point or all three. Because you look at that and you just think, well, with the handball thing and that, maybe it is our day today. Maybe we are going to get something from this and maybe we are um, going to head back to North London um, with, with some form of positive result. In terms of the pattern of the game, as I mentioned, I thought we started great and then I thought we lost control. I thought we were up against the ropes a little bit at the start of the second half. Um, I thought it was all Liverpool at that point. We were trying to play out from the back. They kept winning it back high up. Their high press was just incredibly effective at that point. Um, and I think we did quite a good job of recognising that and just sitting off a little bit and soaking up a little bit, weathering the storm. It, it's something that Arsenal do better this season. I, I talked about it when we were previewing the game. When you saw the way we played against Manchester City, it wasn't let's try and do the same thing over and over again for 90 minutes. There were periods where I think the players themselves took a conscious decision to go, hold on a minute. We're up against it a little bit here. Let's just ride this out. Let's bunker down, as David Hillier put it yesterday, and make sure that we don't do anything stupid for a few minutes and let the cloud pass, let the storm pass. And Arsenal did that really well against City in the game where we came out on top. And when you're in the game at that stage, you're always, um, you know, you're always in with a chance of, of getting one of those moments that ultimately decides the result. And, and I thought we did that really well. I think some of the football on display generally in this game, in terms of the high pressing, the playing through the lines, all the rest of it was just magnificent. Jurgen Klopp 
spoke about it after the game. Mikel Arteta spoke about it too. The pair of them shared a word at the full-time whistle with regards to what a fantastic game that was uh, for everybody. And um, yeah, I just, I'm glad that both managers recognised that and I'm glad that it didn't become um, sort of overclouded by, you know, controversial decisions. Klopp had a bit of a moan about the handball and, and why wouldn't he? I, I listened to his five live interview when I was driving home and I found that quite funny where he said, uh, oh, well, you know, Dermot Gallagher will find a reason on Sky tomorrow to tell me why it's not a handball. It's incredibly funny. Um, but yeah, look, it was a, just a, a really, really good, gripping, fascinating game. Not a classic in terms of the number of goals, in terms of, um, you know, the the sort of drama that you associate with that type of fixture sometimes, the, you know, the needle that you sometimes get in those types of fixtures. But for me, um, it was a gripping game of football, really, really gripping game of football. And I'm privileged uh, to have been able to, to work on it, of course. We're going to take a short pause. Then we're going to talk about some individuals. And when we uh, are done with that, we're also going to take some of your questions from the live chat. Please do, though, if you haven't done so already, leave a like on the video. Um, it really, really does help, guys. Um, I wouldn't ask if it didn't. Um, it, it really, really does help. And that can be your Christmas present to me, right? A, a like. Um, there's loads of, there's hundreds of you watching. We've only got 61 likes, though, on the board, which is not where I hoped we would be. Uh, so please do leave a like. And if you're listening on audio, please do leave me a review. That can be your Christmas present to me. If you're an audio listener, I'd really, really appreciate it. We're going to take a short pause. And when we come back, we'll go into some of the individual performances from an Arsenal point of view. You're listening to the Chronicles of Aguna podcast. Don't go anywhere. Okay, let's start from the back of the team. Let's start with David Raya. I was concerned about David Raya going into this one. Um, I highlighted him on the preview show as someone that I was a little bit worried about. I think that at times he's taken what I would deem to be unnecessary risks in an attempt to please his manager by following his instructions. And I know that Mikel Arteta is not going to get the arse with a goalkeeper that tries to do what he asks him to do if it goes wrong from time to time, right? Managers have to accept that. It's it's the risk and reward thing. If you believe the reward of playing out from the back that way is greater than the risk it poses, then you're quite happy as a manager for, um, for, for that to just unfold in front of you. And if it goes wrong at times, you kind of just have to take it on the chin because it's your instruction. It's your style of play. What I thought David Raya did incredibly well yesterday, and look, he wasn't making world-class save after world-class save. It wasn't that type of David Raya performance. Um, but what it was, was the performance of someone who I think, rather than being obsessed with principles and fixated on following a certain set of instructions, this was a player that played the game. He played the scenario that he was faced with. And I always remember a really famous Jens Lehmann comment where he said that goalkeepers, you know, can get in the modern game, can kind of get obsessed with this idea of taking a touch, finding one of your centre-halves, playing it through the lines, playing it to a fullback. And at times what they need to do is just go back to basics, trust their instincts a little bit more and just play the game that is unfolding in front of them. And I thought David Raya did that really, really well, really well. Um, at times. When the option was there to play short or play through the lines or try and hit one of the wingers nice and early, he would do that. But at times when he was under a bit of pressure, he was quick 
um, to the to the situation. He was quick to arrive on the scene and he was quick to just take no risks and clear long. And that's what I want to see from David Raya, particularly in a game like that. Now, there will be games where you can take a few more risks. There will be games against lesser opposition, sides whose high press isn't as effective, where you can be a little bit more um, strict in terms of your following of the manager's particular rules and principles. But on this occasion, I think it required a bit of common sense. It required a bit of adaptability. Um, and I thought that David Raya played the game really, really well. I think he looked comfortable yesterday. I don't think he looked comfortable necessarily 100% against Brighton at home. So to go to Anfield the following week and look really comfortable is a testament, I think, to how well he played this game on an individual level. We've touched on Zinchenko a little bit already, um, so I'm not going to spend too long on this. But what I do want to say um, about Zinchenko is... I think we focus way too much on the negatives when we're analysing his performances. We all know, as I said already, that what Zinchenko is, um, it would have been really, really easy, I think, after what happened in the first half and with the goal for Zinchenko to kind of go into his shell. But he didn't do that. He took responsibility. He kept going. He kept playing his way. He kept playing his game. And although he gave the ball away a couple of times dangerously, he, um, he did help us in terms of playing out successfully on a number of occasions. He does help us by going into midfield, giving us that extra man and, and allows us to wrestle back a bit of control. And when you go away to places like Anfield, again, we touched on this in the preview show, you do need to have possession. You do need to have enough of the ball to be able to have a breather and some respite at times. You can't just sit in and wait and, and hope that Liverpool don't find a way through. There's got to be a balance in your game and in your overall play. And I thought that Zinchenko aided us in um in sort of finding that balance and uh, and you know that was the kind of the positive side of his game i've seen some criticism of of Mikel arteta post match you know people saying well you know you know what he is in terms of his defensive level you know that against a player like mo salah we're probably going to see him struggle you know that that is going to be an area that Liverpool are going to target. So why on earth did you pick him? Well, I am certain, almost certain. No, actually, I'm not almost certain. I'm I'm certain. I am certain that had Takahiro Tomiyasu or Jurian Timber been fit and available for this game, Zinchenko wouldn't have played. In fact, of those three options that Arsenal would have had at left-back had everybody been fit, Tomiyasu, Timber and Zinchenko, I am 100% sure that Zinchenko would have been the third choice going into this fixture in that position. What was the alternative yesterday? Jakub Kivior? Has he convinced you at left-back? Because he hasn't convinced me. He hasn't convinced me at all at left-back. So I can't sit here and criticise the manager's selection. I don't think he had much choice yesterday. He knew exactly what he was doing in terms of the risks that it was going to pose for Arsenal from a defensive point of view. He knows exactly what Zinchenko's defensive level is, and he knew full well that Arsenal were going to have to really help out and protect Zinchenko as much as possible to limit the damage that a player like Mo Salah and Trent Alexander-Arnold coming down that side were going to do to us and inflict on us. But when you've got two other options and both of them are injured, 
and unavailable, you kind of in between a rock and a hard place. And I think he would have weighed up the option of playing Jakub Kivior against the option of playing Zinchenko. And I think he would have come to the conclusion that what Zinchenko would bring us on the ball would um, make up for the defensive assurance that maybe you get from Jakub Kivior. But he also recognised that this was a game, Mikel Arteta, where, as I say, we needed to have the ball at times. We needed to be, um, you know, we needed to be controlling in order to be able to weather um, difficult spells and all the rest of it, weather storms. I just, yeah, I think on another day, if those two were fit, then I don't think we're even having this debate. I don't think we're even having this discussion. And I think that Zinchenko um, doesn't play. But with the options that we have available to us at the moment, what choice was there? Can anyone hand on their heart in the live chat tell me that they'd have gone, nope, not playing Zinchenko, I'd have played Kivior. You know, we went to Anfield and we had the same number of shots as them. We had 49% of the ball, Liverpool with 51% as well, so just edging it. We had more corners than they did. The, the reason we had those things and the reason we were level in terms of sort of exchanging blows was partly because we had a player in Zinchenko who could go into that midfield and help us and 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 allow us to gain that control and grab that control at points. People keep talking about Kieran Tierney in the chat. Kieran Tierney doesn't help you with that. Kieran Tierney's a conventional fullback. And I think that if you had played Kieran Tierney yesterday, you'd have been asking way too much of Declan Rice. Rice defensively is immense, right? And he was superb yesterday. We'll come on to talk about him in a minute. But he does benefit from having Zinchenko come in alongside him when Arsenal have the ball. Kai Havertz benefits from being able to push that little bit further forward because Zinchenko comes into that inside left space. As a result of that and, and the balance that we have on that side, it means Rice can shift slightly more right and it means that Odegaard can have a bit more license. It means that Ben White can get up and get close. All of these things have a knock-on effect on one another. So, yes, I agree that Zinchenko as a defender is, is not good enough in the biggest games. And I agree that the best forwards in world football, that's what Mo Salah is, will cause him problems nine out of ten times. Mikel Arteta knows that too, which is why he picked Akihiro Tomiyasu in the home game last season over Zinchenko. We all know that that's the deal. But what was the alternative yesterday? And I think rather than always focusing on the negative, we should sometimes focus on the positive as well. There were things that Zinchenko brought to the team yesterday and brings to the team week in, week out that go some way in making up for maybe the defensive frailties because they help us and boost us in other areas. It means the balance is slightly off at times. I agree with that. But it's 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 one of those things at this moment in time. I don't really know, as I say, what the alternative was for Mikel yesterday. And so to sit here after the fact and go, Mikel got it wrong. And if he didn't pick Zinchenko, we'd have won the game by a goal to nil. I just think is a, I just think is a nonsense. And um, I'm not going to engage in that kind of stuff because I think that's revisionism at its finest. I think that's an easy way out in terms of trying to analyse what went wrong and, and maybe what we can do better. And I think the reason that he's brought the likes of Jurian Timber in, the reason that he's used Takahiro Tomiyasu at fullback at times is because he recognises that himself. 
Let's talk a little bit about the two centre-halves, Gabriel and William Saliba. Oh. I mean, Saliba was amazing, and we'll talk about Saliba in a, in a sec, but Gabriel was amazing too. You know, particularly in that second half when he had to go over and support Zinchenko more. I mean, he was supporting him before that as well. Not only that, he gets a goal at Anfield, his first goal of the season. Big, big contribution that. But I think because William Saliba is so good, and he is so good, we often forget to give Gabriel his flowers. And I think Gabriel is, you know, I think the best three centre-halves in the Premier League today are... Saliba, Van Dijk and Gabriel. Put them in whatever order you want. But I would go as far as saying that we've got two of the best three centre-halves on current form in the Premier League. And I don't understand why people always overlook Gabriel's contribution. When he first came to the club, he was a little bit clumsy. He was a little bit rash. He was a little bit over-exuberant at times. But now he's got a defender alongside him who is top, top draw and who brings a calmness and a composure and he's willing to be the one that drops off to sweep up and clean up. And it allows Gabriel to play that more aggressive centre-half style that he has, that he enjoys. And we're seeing the very, very best of him at the moment. Do not underestimate the job that Gabby has when he has to go out and support the left-back. Because Saliba supports White, of course. That's what centre-backs do. They cover their full-backs at times but not to the same extent, not to the same level. Saliba very rarely gets drawn out into an advanced position in the way that that Gabriel has to, or in, into the wider areas. Saliba does it from time to time, but it isn't a, a regular occurrence. And when he does get dragged out, because of Ben White's central defensive instincts and his um, inclination to kind of stay that little bit narrower, Saliba doesn't get dragged out as much. On the other side, though, Zinchenko, and I've been talking about this for over a year, constantly has to clean up in behind Zinchenko. And that's a really difficult task to do. But also when you're trying to do your job to a really high level as well, which he has done, which is alongside William Saliba, and you're able to pull the two of those things off simultaneously, you deserve a lot of praise and a lot of credit. William Saliba was just unbelievable. Again, I'm running out of superlatives for the guy. I really, really am. Um, so calm, so composed, so strong. Um, and I think... You know, people are looking at him now and thinking, <laughs> this guy is a, a Rolls Royce. That core of the Arsenal team yesterday, those two at centre-half with Declan Rice in front of them was just magnificent and immense. And for all the possession that Liverpool had, you know, with the exception of the Trent Alexander-Arnold chance, that obviously you should have scored. There's no doubt about that. I can't think of too many clear-cut opportunities that Liverpool fashioned at Anfield and, you know, their press was great. Their intensity was great for large periods of the match. But even still, Arsenal stood firm. Now, that was a testament to every Arsenal player yesterday. I thought everybody battled. Everybody fought well. Everybody gave everything. I saw that clip going around from the Amazon doc where Mikel Arteta was talking about, you know, that time where he went to Anfield as a player and he hid. And that that was the biggest regret of his career and that he just wanted the players to leave it all out there, to give it absolutely everything so that they, they come away not thinking I should have done more or I could have done more. Yeah, you, you might be disappointed by the result if you don't get it, but you want to be satisfied in your own performance and know that you gave your absolute all on a personal level. And I think, you know, that was on display yesterday. There were players 
that didn't have their greatest game in terms of the impact that they had. I think Gabriel Jesus is one of them. Worked tirelessly, though. Constantly involved in physical altercations with Virgil van Dijk and Ibrahimo Konate, who are doubly sized. But, you know, he won't come off of that pitch when he's replaced by Eddie Nketiah thinking, I didn't give it my 100%. He'll come off the pitch thinking, it wasn't my day today. But he'll be satisfied with his application. And I think that's really, really important. And that's what we get consistently with this Arsenal team now. And that's why, yeah, sometimes we lose and we want to be critical and we want to highlight the reasons that we weren't able to get the result we desire. But if the application is there, then most of the time you can understand and, and you can accept it. Um, some bad news from yesterday was that Kai Havertz picked up a fifth yellow card, which means he's going to miss the game against West Ham United. Um, disappointing. And the fact that that is so disappointing is a testament to how well Kai Havertz has done um, in uh, in recent weeks. Everybody wants to see him in the team week in, week out at the minute. Um, so it's a bit of a blow for us, but we'll have to take it on the chin. Look, to summarise from me, and I will get some of your questions for the last sort of five to eight minutes. So start chucking them in. I've seen a few come through already. I'll scroll back and find some of those. But if you've got a question that's on your mind, drop it in the chat box now. To summarize from me, it's a good result. We had the rub of the green in some ways on the day. We'll take it because that hasn't always been the case for us. Um, I think a point is something I'd have signed for before the game. So I'd be a hypocrite if I said I wasn't at least satisfied with it now. Um, we're top at Christmas. We've gone to Anfield now and not been beaten. We've played Manchester City and not been beaten. And we know how important those results can prove to be come the end of the Premier League season. I'm not saying we're going to win it. I'm not saying that, um, you know, we are the, the favourites even. But I am saying that when you when you go and get results like that, when you go to somewhere like Anfield in consecutive seasons and don't get beaten, people start to take you more seriously. And when people start to take you seriously, it means you're on the right track. Um, Patty in the chat says, uh, more bad news. Saka broke Simicas's collarbone. Disgrace. I, I didn't address this because I don't think that it's, I, I don't think that it's a talking point. I mean, from a Liverpool point of view, it's a talking point that they're going to be without another left back and Kostas Tsimikas was having a good run in the Liverpool side. Um, Jurgen Klopp fell on top of him, which I don't think helped. But Bukayo Saka was making a genuine attempt there to get his body in front of the player so that he could spin away with it, um, spin away with the ball and carry it down the right wing. Even Jurgen Klopp didn't mention it. Um, he mentioned the injury, but he didn't go off on one about the challenge. Even at the time, you kind of, you saw Jurgen Klopp go over, get up off the off the ground, and then almost like go to have a go, and then look up and think, it's Bukayo Saka. And actually, it was probably just a bump. It's an awkward fall, and that's all it is. And I would say the same thing if it was an Arsenal player. It's just incredibly unfortunate for Liverpool that they've lost Timikas for a period of time. Um, it's unfortunate for them that they've got an issue at left-back at the moment. Although I thought Gomez did okay when he came on, to be fair to him. Um, even in an attacking sense, he, he, he surprised me. But to sit there and, and paint Bukayo Saka as this villain as a result of that challenge, I think is an absolute bloody nonsense. 
absolute nonsense. Um, there was another challenge that the Liverpool fans and players were trying to get him sent off for. I think Virgil van Dijk even asked the referee if he'd had a drink or something. I mean, is that allowed? Talking about respecting referees, is that acceptable? Don't know. Um, but again, he slipped. And he slipped because the Hanfield pitch was an absolute mess yesterday. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, um, right, let's take some of your questions. Let's take some of your thoughts from the live chat. We'll do that before we go. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to the Chronicles of Aguna podcast. Okay, okay, okay. Um, let's pick out some questions. I did star a couple uh, a little bit earlier on. I want to take this comment from the croc who says, if there was a game that highlighted our desperate need for a big, powerful striker, it was last night. Against big defenders like Van Dijk, Jesus struggles and it frustrates him a lot. I think that's a, look, I've been really defensive of Gabriel Jesus over the last few months because I think people have been really, really unfair in their analysis of him. I think that what he brings to the team is so important, so crucial and so key, actually, to getting the best of some of the players around him. That I won't have any Gabriel Jesus slander. But what I will say is you make a valid point in that we could do with a different option, couldn't we? We could do with a different option, someone that is a bit more physical, that can um, do battle in that way. Jesus tries. Oh, man, does he try? He gives it absolutely everything. So it's not a criticism of him, but a slightly different profile of striker wouldn't go amiss. And we've talked about that before. And I think it's something that Arsenal will look to address next summer. I think it's the next thing that's on the list. You know, um, but yeah, um, valid point. But again, is it a criticism of Jesus? And I'm not saying that you're criticizing him. I think the way you've put it is is quite fair. But it does frustrate him. It does put him in a situation where he can't really impact the game in the way um, he'd like. So, uh, yeah, I, I think it's a valid point. Um, Jid says, do you think that there is now a predictability about Saka and Martinelli that top fullbacks can handle. When they get the ball, they both almost always do the same thing they always do. I think this is interesting because... Um, I think this is interesting because in attracting opposition to double up on them, what they do is create space for others. And I think it's a lot of the reason why Odegaard gets space. I think it's a lot of the reason why... Um, Kai Havertz has had a lot more joy making those late runs into the box when the ball's on the other side because the 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 sort of instinct or, or, or this kind of natural thing to do for those defenders is to focus on Martinelli and Saka. I think it comes with the territory. I think they've got to find different ways of um, causing teams problems on an individual level rather than it just being about occupying people. I think for me... I'm disappointed with Martinelli. Um, I think he looked a bit untidy yesterday. I think he was a little bit um, not quite at it in terms of some of his decision-making. Probably should have scored a goal as well. Um, I think it's more of a problem at this moment in time for Martinelli than it is for Saka. But I take the point that they're not quite as effective as they were last season. But again, I think this is about needing to adapt. And this is about needing to constantly evolve as a player because people are going to suss out your strengths and at the highest level, they're going to be able to nullify them at points. The question is, can they nullify them for 90 minutes? And if they only nullify them for 70 or 80, are those players good enough in whatever window they get to be able to cause the damage that we know they're capable of? 
I'm not massively concerned about it. I'm more concerned about Martinelli than I am about Saka at this moment in time. But I think they'll come good. I really do. I think they're that good of players that they will. Um, Highbury Ultra says, Harry, challenge for you. Name a better centre-back than Saliba in world football. It's hard. Um, in fact, I don't think there's any centre-back right now that I would take ahead of them. I really don't. I don't think there's anyone. So, yeah. Am I saying that he's the best centre-back in the world? I'm saying, in my opinion, right now, there's nobody I'd, I'd swap him with. So um, that's a big statement, isn't it? It's a really, really big statement. But you know what? I'll own it. <laughs> um, what else have we got? Um, Netweed on my comment about getting a striker next summer. Next summer, how many summers are we giving Arteta to get a second place every time, mate? Six summers. He's top of the league at the moment. And uh, we can talk about that if he finishes um, second at the end of the season. I'm happy to have that conversation. But... At this point, it's, it's a silly conversation to be having. Um, next summer, listen, Mikel Arteta isn't the money man. It's not his football club. It's not his money. He can only spend what he's allowed to spend. He can only spend what the club are able to spend within the financial constraints that are in place. And we know when you look at Everton, what happened to them, that you can ill afford these days, particularly with an independent regulator breathing down the necks of the Premier League executives, you can ill afford to, to break those rules. You've got to do what you can. And I think that that is the next phase in our build um, and in our progression. But um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, do, 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 do. Uh, Mafia Boss says, shouldn't Saka have gone down when in that one-on-one -on -one with Alison Harry? Do you know what? I think he should have. And I remember saying uh, to David Hillier, who was on commentary with me yesterday at halftime, that I think Saka should have uh, should have gone down. I, I really did. But Alisson was quite clever because he kind of half committed to the challenge and then pulled out, which might have put Saka um, in a position where he was in trouble with the referees. And it turned out that he'd been booked, by the way, Bukayo Saka. Um, at the time, we all thought it was Martin Odegaard that was booked. Now, when you do commentary from um, a studio rather than at the game, you can't see the full picture, right? You can only see what the TV shows you. And um, I was certain that it was Odegaard that had picked up the booking because there was a challenge where him and Saka kind of went across the same man. And then the camera panned to Odegaard who walked off and he was protesting and all the rest of it. And I was certain he'd picked up the booking. When I hopped onto the BBC app in front of me just to kind of confirm that whilst doing my live commentary, it said Odegaard. And so did the Sky Sports one, which made me think, oh, Odegaard is... Um, is the one on the yellow card. And then a few minutes later, when I kind of refreshed the page, they'd adjusted that to Bukayo Saka. So I didn't know Saka was on a booking at the time. And therefore, I thought he, he probably should have tried his luck going down there. But no, I mean, we talk about cheating. We talk about, you know, the dishonesty in our game. We're going to start criticising people for being honest and, and trying to play the game for as long as they possibly can. I don't know. Right, uh, I'll take one more, but if you could please leave a like on the video before I do that, that would be massively, massively helpful. Subscribe to the channel if you're new as well. I'm not going to be doing a Christmas Day show. Um, maybe we'll do one on Boxing Day. I'll see. Depends uh, what i got going on. Um, but yeah, this might be uh, the last question before Christmas. Let's, uh, let's just quickly scroll through and see uh, what we've got here. The chat is popping off, so I've missed quite a few of your comments apologies if i haven't got round to answering uh one of yours it's not intentional i don't 
Um, I don't even really sort of vet them. I just go with whatever. Uh, Dean says, uh, from New Zealand, happy Christmas Eve and to you, mate. He says, we're top of the league. Hit the likes, people. Congratulations on your great commentary on the game, living your dream. Thank you so, so much, Dean. Uh, really, really appreciate it. And love to everybody over on that side uh, of the world. Um, let's see uh, what else we got. Okay, let's take this one. Do you think Arteta needs to change something to get our forwards firing again? Um, I mean, we're scoring goals. Like, we are scoring goals this season. So, do I see it as like a, a massive major problem? I think that when we've got that front three of Jesus, Martinelli, Saka, and then you've got that kind of supporting cast of Odegaard and Havertz, I think there's enough goals in the team. Um, I, I really, really do. So, am I like massively concerned, like massively stressed about it or thinking that, you know, we've got a lot of work to do and, you know, wondering how we improve that. I think there's always room for improvement. I think Mikel Arteta will be the first to tell you that as well. Um, but I, I don't I don't know that there's a like a quick fix, like there's one thing that I would change to fix it. I think, you know, we just got to keep moving the ball with the same intensity, keep playing with the same zip. And when people are sitting with low blocks against us. And that wasn't the case yesterday, but it's a problem that we generally face. And I think you've got to accept that sometimes you just got to be patient and you're not going to have it all your own way. Natalie says, uh, Merry Christmas from Belgium. Merry Christmas to you too. Raphael says, Happy Christmas, Harry and all the Gooners. Take a good rest. No need to do a show on Boxing Day. I probably won't. Unless something major comes up, I probably won't. Um, thank you all so, so much. Merry Christmas to each and every one of you. Hope you have a wonderful time eat lots of food, chill out, relax, all the rest of it. It's Christmas Eve football today. What a treat that is. Not for the fans that have to make the journey, but uh, for us sitting on our couches, it's not bad, is it? And um, yeah, a full programme, of course, over the course of the next few days as well. Arsenal back in action on Thursday against West Ham United. That will be uh, interesting, won't it? Um, I'll see you all next time. And until then, take care of yourselves. All the best, guys. Goodbye. <laughs>